Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, peruanos de Estados Unidos. Un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofia, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please be sure to share with us in social media using the hashtag Peruvians of USA. All right, here's our conversation. Welcome, Maria, to Peruvians of USA. I'm thrilled to have you here tonight to have our conversation about your Peruvian immigrant story. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, everyone. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Maria Saldana. My pronouns are she, hers, ella. I'm currently in South Florida. I mainly do work around the healing and wellness of queer, trans, Black, Indigenous people of color. I'm currently at the Center for Gender, Sexualities, and Women's Studies Research at the University of Florida, so I'm a master's student there. I'm really interested in how storytelling and like testimonials are used as like tools for survival. I'm also really interested in pleasure generally, so like how pleasure helps us survive, and one of the big key things that I look at is like how perreo, so perreo como how that's been a really key focus in pleasure. I came to Florida when I was around three years old. I was born in Iquitos, Peru, so I'm a very proud charapa bisexual woman. I made sure to put it all out there. I'm very proud of my identities and navigating my indigeneity. And yeah, it's a little bit about me. So what perreo song or <laughs> is your favorite? Like as soon as it drives, you're like, get out of the way. I'm about to drop it low. So there's this, uh, well, pre-COVID, there was this um, like perreo, really, really big perreo in uh, Miami. And so it was put together by Out of Service Miami. So shout out to Out of Service. That place just just brought me so much joy. And the song that would always come on and I knew it was um, Quiero Bailar by Evie Queen. So Evie Queen is like reina, you know, la diva, la potra, la caballota. And um, uh, also like anything like Teo Caderon, like I like the old, the old stuff. Bad Bunny, of course, you know, Benito. How did Perreo come into your life? I came to the States. I had my first birthday party, my first official party in the States. You know, I was in 305. And I just remember growing up in this area, you know, my family was working class. We had just immigrated. And all that would play was reggaeton. You know, I was like the dumbbell, the boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it was like all I heard. Um, but what would happen, right? And so, so like in my Instagram bio, is like I have scholar activist puta, right? Um, and so the reason is, is because I think that when I got there, I remember hearing the word puta or like being called the word puta. I like, I was like four or five, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, like why? Because I like, I thought I'm little, I'm a little kid. Um, but it was so interesting to me how when women and femme, like femme bodies, like partook in, in berreo, um, it was seen as like such a negative thing. I was like, why, why are you out there on the dance floor, you know, moviendo tu culo así? Like, um, and I was like, because I can, right? And so, again, a big part of that is also because I think perreo is very racialized. And perreo and reggaeton themselves are black, right? They have radical roots of resistance. And so I, I'm really interested in, like, perreo combativo itself. I did a talk a few months ago with my mentor, Dr. Hernandez, who I'll probably touch on a little bit more, and um, some folks. So we talked about perreo. 
what that means and the way that it's been used as a tool of resistance, but also pleasure. So it brings me a lot of pleasure. It brings me in tune with my femininity. So uh, you talked about perro combativo. Can you just define it for somebody who's like, this is the first time they're hearing it. They don't, you know, to them perreo is like, lo que hacen en la discoteca, los jóvenes, you know. So to think of that and then resistance is, can be like a little bit of a dissonance for some people. So can you can you define it? When the Ricky Renuncia protests were happening in Puerto Rico, what we saw in the streets um, was people marching and it was also people perreando. The history of perreo itself, perreo was criminalized. Reggaeton was criminalized in Puerto Rico. It was racialized, attached to these, these concepts of, um, you know, if you're making reggaeton, you're, you're black, you are, you know, and, and what was associated then was you're a delinquent, you're this, you're this. The governor at the time, his father, I believe, like, right, I could be wrong, but his father was one of the main people that put in that criminalization. And so it was almost like the people were like, really? You're going to do that? Okay, bueno, we're going to be out here, right? And so it was a really, really powerful stance that people took. And so I think even like a, a collective formed and, and they wrote um, what was the Perreo Comativo Manifesto. I think what's also really important to know is that this visibility and this representation that we saw in the media of, of you know, bodies, racialized bodies that were perreando, um, it doesn't always mean that they have act that uh, these these people have access, right? So it's like, okay, maybe Perreo did that, right? This Perreo Comativo and these, these marches got Ricky to get out of the office, to get out of office, right? Powerful. And what happens is that there's still systems in place, right? So if we, we're thinking about Black trans bodies that were there, you know, Perreando, what access now do they have under the government? For me, that's something really important to look at, you know? Perreo, perreo incites pleasure for me, and it's been something very healing. I think it's so key what you said about pleasure and how important it is. And I can probably count in one hand how many Latinas or Peruvian women talk about pleasure. It's something we're not supposed to talk about. And it's so natural to being a woman and being a human being to, to want to experience pleasure. So you're a grad student and you right now are in the field of sexuality, storytelling as healing, particularly for communities of queer, trans, black, indigenous people of color. How did you choose that path for yourself? Good question. <laughs> One, I've always been fascinated with storytelling. I think it's because when I left Peru, right, when my, my mama and I left Peru, I had no access besides phone calls with my abuelita or stories that my mom had of her growing up um, that, that kept me close to my culture. So to me, the, the stories kept it alive. I was trained in the Black Feminist Method by this brilliant counseling psychologist and my mentor, doc, Dr. Della Mosley, who's in the Wells Healing Research Collective. So shout out to Wells, shout out to Dr. Della. And I was trained in the Black Feminist Method and a lot of it is just understanding, right, like that that Black women especially, they have had such a huge impact on the formations of nations, of countries, right? And, and here in the U.S., we see that. And yet, where's their credit, right? Where are they cited, especially in, acad in academia, right? Academia is like a beast. The erasure of, of Black feminist thought and the erasure of the knowledge that's created by, by folks of color makes it so, to me, storytelling was so important, right? Because who else is going to tell us our stories? So I appreciate platforms like this where, where you get 
give us the opportunity to tell our stories because it's so powerful. Yeah, and as I think about Berreo and pleasure too, and we've seen in social media, Joy being an act of resistance. i seen the hashtag um, Black Boy Joy or like just show your joy as a form of resistance. Yeah, I don't know how many people in the audience would have thought of Berreo and pleasure and joy all of, as a form of resistance. So I hope this is uh, interesting to our audience. Um, so you also define yourself as a bisexual woman. I'm curious about your family reacting to you sharing that with them. And I guess I'm coming from a perspective of like thinking Peruvians tend to be more conservative, but I also know that the Amazonian culture is different from the Andean culture. I don't think I ever came out to my, like my parents or, or my siblings or anything. It was almost something that was so natural to me to express like my, my desire or my you know my love towards <laughs> towards people I just remember like I was I was so little right I was maybe like seven years old when I first told my mom I was like oh my god mommy like I kissed that girl right on the playground and my mommy's like oh okay <laughs> it wasn't something that was that was this this notion of like we have to come out right because it's like okay well my straight you know uh, my other straight family members never came out to me so it's like why do I have to come out to you one of the reasons that I do share like my bisexuality or wherever I go it's like hello yes I am a bisexual like high femme woman um it's because it's because of that right so I I know that um in Peru right it's like not even legal for for queer couples to get married there's so much homophobia and transphobia and I remember the feeling of going back to Iquitos being older I was like oh my gosh I'm like here but in a different mindset so I'm no longer here as like como una niña that's that's coming back and I'm like you know I'm here as like an adult and now my family's asking me oh, tienes pareja, tienes this? and I'm like oh right there's there's different expectations of me almost right when I would go back it was like oh um now I had to share certain things and I remember being actually like scared right I was like what is my abuelita gonna think what is what is my family gonna think um and I just remember finding when I told them I was like oh you know like I I like people I like <laughs> all genders and it wasn't it wasn't something that my abuelita like freaked out she was like okay hita. Like, you know my abuelita to me is everything like my abuelita and my great abuelita my mama did she's like my ancestor when she was in I feel her here she's like make sure you talk about me <laughs> like <laughs> but my abuelita to me are everything she's like let's just be clear who's the start of this interview <laughs> No, actually, no lie. If I did not, if I don't enter a situation without mentioning her, she's upset. Like, I'm just like, all right, Abuelita, I hear you. <laughs> I think that's beautiful that um, that you bring your Abuelita. Uh, her name is Adith? Yeah, so my mom, Adith, that's uh, my, my mom. So you met her? Yes. Last time I saw her, I think I was maybe <laughs> and then she she passed away so she passed away a few years ago and what's strange is that she didn't see me grow up but I have always felt like this connection to her I feel like this this woman knows everything about me and I and she didn't see me grow up my my mama Deep was born in Tirumpan which is um a tiny little town in in like by the Yucayali, right? The Yucayali River. And that's where my abuelita Rosa was born. Um, and 
then I was born in Iquitos. And um, my my mamedi, you know, there's this like strong like indigenous woman um, who without fail made everyone feel special. Like without like you would have never seen her a day in your life and she was suddenly your best friend. So I have always had such a connection to her, but her house was in Contamana. And so a few years ago, I got to go back to Contamana um, for Sumisa de Honduras. And uh, when I stepped into her her room, it was like she was with me. And like, I, I felt her all over. I got chills. I was like, oh, that's her. And uh, I don't know. I just feel her everywhere. Like, I feel her all the time. So she like divinely protected. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I feel similarly with my grandfather and my mom's father. I actually never met him, but really in the hard moments, I feel like I can pray to him. Um, I feel that he loved my mom so much because of the story she tells me that just automatically loves me, even though he never met me. And I feel just that the way he has protected my mom after he passed, he continues to protect me. And it's so weird that like, you know, like, I mean, I guess it's normal and not and more than weird that we are so connected to, to our grandparents and our ancestors. So, um, all right. Uh, one question that, um, oh yeah. So you did touch on this. I wanted, I wanted you to elaborate on being bisexual. You know, I just want to make sure like there's no misinformation out there um, in our community because I'm sure somebody is going to maybe think like, well, how do you like both? <laughs> Like, don't you really have one preference? And I guess, you know, like, I, I guess my, my thought behind that is we have been raised to be so binary, like black, white, AB, XY, you know? And so that this flu, fluidity between things, it's, it's it, 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 it makes our minds explode. So you touched on it, but I don't know if you want to define it for people better, or maybe it doesn't require definition. So I'll leave that up to you. The way that I define my, my bisexuality is that I'm attracted to to genders like my own and then genders not like my own. So that's where the bi comes in. Um, people ask me all the time, they're like, well, why don't you say pansexual then? Or why don't you say this, this, this? And I'm just like, because this is how I identify, right? This is this is what feels authentic to me. And, and that's something that I would say, like I um, remember just being an undergrad and I was in a predominantly white institution. Um, a lot of cis heterosexual folks around me. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, there's no one here that I feel like close to, or there's no one here that I feel like I can I can talk about my sexuality with like openly, right? Without it being like a weird thing. Um, and then I met uh, in my junior year of undergrad, my friend who's also bisexual and peruana, and I was like, yes, I was like the universe blessing. Um, but it was it was just like this this thing where I was just like, oh my gosh, I was stressing so much about my sexuality, and I was just like, am I actually like bi? Like oh my god you know and it got to the point where I was like hmm. I had to look at myself in the mirror and be like this when I say bisexual does that feel true right like when I put my hand over my heart and I'm saying yes like Maria I'm a bisexual woman does that feel true yes and it felt like it felt in alignment with with me um and so that's what I would say I think that there's a lot of stress around around labeling and around this but I just what I tell people who are questioning or or who get questions about their sexuality is um, you know, right? And it's only you. Like, you know better than anyone else what feels true. Thank you for sharing that with us because, you know, like nobody has asked me to define being straight. Um, so I do appreciate that. And, and it's coming from
from a place of wanting to understand and just wanting to expand my own knowledge. So I thank you for that. Um, uh, just to close on the perreo like topic, uh, one of the things that came to mind was um, the over sexualization of women's bodies. And how do you think perreo contributes to that? Or does it actually help or like impact in a positive or a negative way? Yeah. So that's something, right, that reggaeton has sexist lyrics, right? Has sexist lyrics, has some, some of them are homophobic, some of them are anti-black, right? Like, and we can say that and we can, we can acknowledge that. Um, and I also think that's something that's, that's missing when people are like, oh my gosh, like, right, all these, these women and these femmes are like being um, over-sexualized. Like, how are they doing that to themselves? Are they okay with it? I think it's like, okay, well, where is the agency for women and femmes to make the decision to be like, okay, pero I like perreo. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> right? It's like, okay, I'm sorry, pero la Ivy Queen dice, right? Like, aquí o mano, right? So, just because we like perreo doesn't mean that it's like an automatic, right? You can make these assumptions about what, what values we have, how smart we are, if you have access to our bodies. Uh-uh. Right? That's not what it is. Um, and I think that, again, I think out of service Miami and like for, for having something like a perreo because something that was stressed so much is that this is your safe place, right? Right? You do it where your chongi self is gonna, is gonna be in, in on display right but for you do that for you and, and creating um a community of safety i think that's that's super important um so yes i think of course there are sexualized over sexualized hyper sexualized lyrics and messages and i think that we as consumers have the agency and i think we need to continue to place agency and recognize that folks have agency in making these decisions because the dance floor to me is romantic <laughs> it's so romantic Perreo is so like perreo can be so freeing and healing. Um, and I say that in my experience, right? Someone else may not have that experience, but this is mine. Yeah, I think there's so many layers to to that. When you mentioned creating a community of safety around perreo, it made me think of the belly dances that happen in Morocco and like the Middle Eastern cultures where it's just women and women just gather together and there's the dances they do with each other, right? This is not for the men, it's just for them to celebrate with each other and it also makes me think about back when um before the pandemic and like you go to the club and you know guys are like do you really go to the club to dance with your girlfriends i'm like yes <laughs> <laughs> like it's I'm sure there are, there are layers to it like I think sometimes when we are young or, or don't feel empowered in our own bodies and our own sexualities we do maybe use reggaeton and perreo as a way to get attention from men but I think when you evolve as a person and as a woman and you become more empowered with your own body your own sexuality and it's more of a freeing and healing experience I think that's when it shocks people like wait you mean I don't have access to your body like even though you were dancing this provocative way and, and you know like I saw a post like yes like men just period nobody like men or women you don't have access to anybody's bodies period just period just wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de Un Peruano es Otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de Una Peruana es Otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode.
also challenged who taught you that a woman can't or, or a person can't be hypersexual okay so so this person wants to be hypersexual is it hurting you <laughs> right like is it right it's just really challenging what what we've been taught because i like right i'm i'm full-on shut up a woman and i just remember growing up hearing from other peruvians who are not shut up not from la selva that shut up women are hypersexual right they are they're easy they're not as smart and i was like well who why that like and and do you, and why do you believe it also right like and i think that can apply that can apply in perreo like like who taught you that that we can't have like beings that that are engaging in their free will and and just you know living, living their lives <laughs> like i want to live my life right like um and yeah i think that that the one of the reasons that i that i say i'm shut up is because i've always gotten the response of like really like you're gonna like flaunt that like why right what what is this this notion of of charapas or this 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 right um i really want to challenge folks with that um yeah and that's all the misconception and all the thing that the media has ingrained in us tell us what is what is the, what is the charapa culture like um okay well charapa the term charapa first of all it's a turtle so for folks that don't know charapa is actually a turtle that's found in the amazon i'm not sure why we got it like for real i'm not sure who gave us the term charapa I I've like searched all over Google and I'm like, ¿Quién decidió que íbamos a hacer charapa? Like who, who said that? Um, but whatever. <laughs> I need to like honestly have big hoop earrings. My aesthetics near everything. I need to have big hoop earrings that say charapa. Like for real, I need that. But I grew up um, listening to a lot of chicha, a lot of cumbia. Um, for us, it wasn't a lot of wine off this day, but it was mainly like Brazilian music. So I grew up exposed to like Portuguese and what we learned how to dance was the Las Danzas de la Selva and also hello I'm out here like three years old sambaing right apparently and I'm like okay <laughs> that's what we do here um, and no sé somos, somos gente bien, bien alegre somos de sangre caliente como dice Ruth Karina she's like this famous um, charapa singer she's like one of my favorites of all time um, but she has this famous song called Sangre Caliente right so tengo la sangre caliente y, mucha, y mucho sabor that's what she says and I'm like Mm, that's us. <laughs> I think that the, like everything is different. The way that we speak, our slang, our slang is different um, because our our Spanish is also mixed with like some chipiwo, some um, some different words um, and phrases from the indigenous groups that are in the Amazon. Our food is different. Like we're we're not really si tenemos ceviche es es con pez del río. You know, it's not like from this from the ocean it's from the river that we have there i love la selva and, and i don't see a lot of uh representation i think from la selva that could just be me but i i would like to see it i would like to see my charapas out here doing doing it <laughs> yeah no i definitely um don't see a lot of representation uh from the um peruvians from the amazon uh and unfortunately it's an area of peru that i have yet to explore um and so i do wonder what is your connection with nature oh my gosh i live for going on on a, a trip on the river so uh we take these like little little speed boats down the down the amazon I I remember when I went to Contamana, the journey for that is you take right from you take a flight from the 305 to Lima. Then you take a flight from Lima 
And then you take a boat, which is like a four to six hour ride down the Amazon to get to Contamana. And when we got to Contamana, uh, we went to this this place called Aguascalientes, where actually if you sit in the middle of like the streams that are coming, you feel on one side is like hot water and on the other side is cold water. So like, let's say you start getting a little too toasty, you could just scoot, scoot your way over to one side and oh, suddenly you're cooled down. Then you're too cold, oh well, you just scoot yourself over to the other side. Pachamama to me is so uh, crucial and important. And it's also because I, I grew up in South Florida. So I was connected to the beaches. Water to me is like everything. The the river is what what sustains us. And, and the Amazon rainforest sustains the world, you know, like, like our oxygen and that's what we breathe. So to me, um, it makes me sad when I go back and I see that there's, there's not a lot of care. So if I, you know, if you keep it looking dirty, that <laughs> makes me real sad. I'm like, what? We have access to this river, you know, like why, why are we not taking care of it? I feel the most at home and the most connected to my ancestors when I go back to Quito, right? Like everything feels better. My hair feels better. My skin feels better. My spirit. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder, um, so I particularly love the mountains. I love, love the mountains. And I just attribute that to the fact that, you know, my family is from Huancayo, Cajamarca. And so, so I can only imagine how you feel when you're in the rainforest and you feel the humidity and your skin's like glowing and, you know, it's just like everything's glowing. Step <laughs> off that plane and it's like, um, Maria is like so different. Like I'm Maria like 2.0. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about uh, your early years, your family's migration here. How did your family decide to leave Iquitos, go to Lima, and come here to the U.S.? Like, what was what's the story behind that? Yeah. So um, my family actually would have never been in Iquitos if it wasn't for Sendero uh, Luminoso. At the time, my my mom and uh, her family were living in Campo Verde, which is close to Bucaracha, and um, Sendero Luminoso was happening, right? And my abuelito was the, pres the principal of this little jardin. And one day, people came, terrorists came, and were like, hey, we want to set a base here in your jardin. And my abuelito was like, excuse me? <laughs> So my uncles were around the age where people from Zendero Luminoso would come and they would kidnap young boys. So they were at the age. And my abuelito had a fear that that was going to happen to his kids. And he said, no. He was like, no, you're not going to set a base here. And the next morning they woke up and the, their house was marked. So it was like the house was marked. Um, and so they fled and they fled to Iquitos. And so um, my mom grew up there and that's where she met my dad. So um, my dad had actually already been doing the residency for a few years. So my my dad technically um, immigrated to Florida to the 305 um, in 1993, but my mom and I didn't go until like 2000. But my fam my parents were doing long distance for like four years, so it was really hard on my parents, it was really hard on my mom, it was hard for me. So my dad would come every six months, because that's how you got to do the residency for immigration and, and finally we were able to go. Um, before that, we actually ended up living, my mom and I ended up living in the Dominican Republic because it was closer to Florida. It was, um, and there, I don't think at the time you needed a, a visa or you still may not run from Peru to the DR. Um, and so my mom and I went to be closer to my dad and my, it was more affordable. It was, it was more convenient. So my dad would come visit to the DR, you know, from Miami um, until we were finally able to go. Um, and then we got here and <laughs> I've been 
um, in South Florida ever since. How did you stay in touch with your family in Peru or your Peruvian roots? My mom's entire side of the family still lives in Iquitos. So because I think I always felt such a strong connection to my abuelita on my mom's side, I I grew up like calling her. So at the time, my mom my mom would have to use these like calling cards <laughs> that you would get at the gas station, <laughs> and uh, that's how we would call my abuelita talk to her and my parents because they're both Peruvian Bocharapa, made sure that like I grew up and my siblings grew up um, very 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 Peruvian it was like if anything like you're Peruvian <laughs> like that was that was always really ingrained in us um, and I had a lot of like I remember growing up um, as I got a little older people would ask me they're like oh like where are you from and I was like oh, Peru no one even know where, where Peru was <laughs> and I remember feeling so like um, like uncomfortable being Peruvian and that even more uncomfortable being from La Selva. And like, then I got a little bit older and then throw in indigeneity in there. I was like, mess. <laughs> like who am I <laughs> I have no idea um but I'm I'm so grateful to to my parents who have always 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 kept us very tied to our root um and who have always been very transparent about you know about life there and about um how hard it was to immigrate here because um, I don't remember a lot of it but because of that right like the trauma that you go through when you immigrate right like I I remember um saying she's like you developed eating disorders right she's like you were so she's like you hated the food here you didn't want you didn't want to eat anything you were so stressed you were so anxious and like still right still, still dealing with anxiety like to this day i still feel the effects my body still feels the effects of like recovery i was it was rough was there a peruvian community close to you guys uh the peruanos in my life were definitely my family I got a little older my mom actually found friends that, that were also charapa women and they were all from right from Iquitos and they're like actually like I know I know your neighbor right <laughs> it's like oh my gosh oh my gosh um somehow they were all connected I'm grateful I'm grateful that the universe did that because my mama you know pobrecita had, had no one else um and to this day right so she we've been in this country 20 years 20 plus years and it's still her right it's her it's it's my siblings it's my dad but that's it and so um grateful that she has her her charapa best friends that hold her down because that's so important yeah and i want to highlight that um it, it causes us a different type of pain and sometimes you know we like to think well tus hijos están acá tus esposos están acá like you should be happy yeah and um, any woman would love having her children here and of course and her family her husband but i see it in my mom where my dad's side of the family like he has sisters here he has uh, cousins and he has niece and it's nieces and nephews but my mom has no one else and it, it causes a toll on her right like sometimes you just want to visit your side of the family <laughs> and she can't because she doesn't have that available to her i just want to highlight for for any any audience members who maybe has a parent who their side of the family is not here just be a little bit more kind and sensitive to that because there is um, a longing that you never lose for your family um, so tell us about um, the first time you returned to Peru after coming here I think the first time that I remember <laughs> was I was I think 12 years old and I remember again like being there stepping off the plane and so, it, I swear it was like a spiritual moment where I was like 
like, oh my gosh, right? This is where I was born. Like, this is where I would have grown up if we had not left. When I went into my abuelita's house, which which is where um, I grew up, I like, it, it felt like I had never lived home. Um, and I remember like when it was time for leave for that trip, oof, I was a mess. I was crying. I still cry every single time I have to leave Peru. I'm, I'm like, I'm a mess. I never want to leave. Um, but I also remember these feelings of like, oh, people are judging my Spanish. Like, okay, so I don't have a charapa accent anymore. What do you want me to do? Like, <laughs> you know, like I also grew up in Miami. And so my, my little primitas would come up to me and like, nothing. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, speaking Spanish. And she's like, okay, pero que acento es eso, right? Like, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and so my mom, my mom, like to this day, she's like, oh, you speak like gringa charapa. And I was like, what does that mean? To me, I'm just speaking Spanish. To me, I just want to talk to my abuelita. Okay. But I remember feeling those moments of like, oh, I feel at home. And then suddenly I was reminded almost that it's like, no, but you're just visiting. Um, and I think that I'm, I've continued to like deal with that, right? It's like, how, how can I feel so at home in what I consider my home? And yet other people see me and it's like, girl, you're not from here. <laughs> like you, right? Tu eres Americana. Like, and, and I, I sincerely don't feel that way. Like I feel very, very, very Peruvian. I, I see all of the, the shifts that definitely I have been through because I've been I've lived in the U.S. Um, but I don't I don't feel that I'm any less Peruvian because of that. So growing up here in the U.S. influences our values, right? That sometimes when we go back, certain things we see in Peru can shock us. And in whether like the most obvious could be like maybe in the U.S. we're more politically correct, right? We're not throwing around certain terms of people as maybe as casually perhaps as we do it in Peru anything like that happened to you oh yeah um <laughs> I I would go and and things that were considered jokes are not jokes right I was like that's anti-black I was like oh that's anti-indigenous I was like oh that's homophobic oh that's transphobic and I was like my goodness <laughs> right I was like this this is something that like is excused as our culture when it's no 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 it's like this is this is an issue i also think right it's like okay maybe in the u.s we're told that we need to be politically correct right but i have been in spaces where people have been anti-black when people have been anti-indigenous and people have been homophobic transphobic so i think looking at the larger larger systems at play it's like okay well we are under systems of oppression that have told us right that there's something wrong with with being something other than white cis head male affluent right wealthy um and i and you can see it in the u.s and you can see it in Peru. i think the issue is that um in Peru, there, there's these discussions you know like race race is different here um don't look at it the same way right it's it's uh, it's a joke but it's not and i think a lot of it you know to me my relationships are so important um i always come from a place of love in my relationships but love is also accountability and love is is holding the people that you love and yourself like accountable to your highest selves you know like and and i think sometimes it's like you you have to you have to say that to your family or, or to people and it's just like listen that was not okay to say because of this 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 right and when they question and they say no 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 but that's just the culture it's like okay well who taught you that that was the culture 
right? Um, because it doesn't have to be that way. And it's hurtful. It's, it's violent. It's harmful to continue to perpetuate these things. Um, and it's out of love, right? So, so does it does it hurt <laughs> to to be held accountable? Of course, um, it's it's not always easy, but it's important. Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I look forward to connecting with you there. And remember, el mejor amigo de un peruano es otro peruano. Chao.